Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bighorn Podcast, where we highlight amazing people with extraordinary stories from our Bighorn community. We have talked to people during our series that have had twists and turns in their lives that have brought them to this point. The stories have been sometimes emotional, always interesting, and have allowed us to have a greater connection to our community. This episode is brought to you with the support of Leeds and Son Fine Jewelers, a member of our community for over 70 years, and AT&T, who reminds us, it can wait. Please don't drive distracted. I'm Marty Lockman, and today we will be talking to Ron Snow. Ron is one of those individuals that personifies the kind of personal qualities that always makes the community a better place. The ultimate gentleman. Welcome, Ron. And if you would start us on your journey that starts in Mount Vernon, Ohio. I'd be glad to. Thanks, Marty. Uh, it's July 29th, 1939, Mercy Hospital, eight pound, eight ounces a Saturday night, and a beaming mother and a very proud father. Uh, after that, Things really got disciplinary in our household. My mom and dad were the best parents you could ever have. Mom was married at 16, had me at 18. And my dad took great pride in handing out discipline, making sure you did the right thing. One of his favorite sayings was, no one will ever have to make my son mine, because that's my job at home and that's what he'll do. And as a consequence of that, what he wanted you to do was work. And probably the greatest value my dad ever gave me was the work ethic. And I mean work from the time I was 10 years old. You had to do gardening. You had to shovel snow. You had two paper rounds morning and night. You had to, if there's something you wanted, you had to go earn it. I would ask him for something. He'd say, fine, I think you can make that money doing something. Uh, let me know what it is. So I'd go out and I would do that. Doing all these various odd jobs. Being uh, in Ohio in the summer when it's hot and it's humid, we had three plants in town, Cooper Bessemer's, Pittsburgh Plate Glass, and Lamb Glass. And this is the late 40s, early 50s. There wasn't a lot of air conditioning, wasn't a lot of vending machines, wasn't a lot of security. The plants were there. So what would happen is they would open the windows on the side of the street to try to get some air and some ventilation in there. But there wasn't a whole lot of air a lot of nights. And I thought, boy, if those guys had some kind of refreshments, a Coke, a root beer, ice cream or something, I bet they would pay for that. And uh, I asked one of the workers there. He said, yeah. He said, that would be a good idea. He said, especially night shift, you know, because there's not much going on. I said, okay, good. So I said, well, where am I going to get these ice cream bars? And there was a creamery in town named Jewel Creamery. So I went to them and I said, you know, if I buy these ice cream bars in volume, five or six or seven dozen at a time, uh, one, could you wait till I got the money to pay you? And two, would you give me a price? <laughs> he looked at me and kind of laughed and thought, uh, what's this crazy little 12-year-old doing sitting here trying to cut a deal with me? So he said, I think this was an out for him to put me off, I think. He said, well, do you have a city business license? I said, what? He said, to do that, you're going to have to have a city business license. I said, where do I get it? He said, you know, City Hall up on the up on the square? I said, yeah. He said, you can get it up there, business license. So I got on my bike. I rode up there. I went in there, and the gal thought I was kind of crazy, too. And I said, well, 
we'll sell ice cream bars. She said, well, good for you. I forget what the charge was. It was very minimal. I think they even waived it for me. Youngest person ever to get a business license in Mount <laughs> Vernon, Ohio. So I go back to the creamy, and <laughs> the guy says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a deal. I forget what the prices were now, but it was something I could make some money doing. And then I had two problems. One, how do I transport the ice cream? And two, how in the hell do I get up to those windows? Because they were like 13 feet. And I, no way I could get up there. I couldn't take a ladder with me. So I had this one kid I used to play basketball with, and he was about six foot two or something at the time, really big for his size. And he had one of these bicycles that had the little wheel in the front and the big wheel in the back and this carriage that you could put almost anything in the front. I think he needed it for the legroom. So I thought, well, I'll get me a cooler, and we'll put the ice cream bars in front, and I'll hire this kid to pedal me um, up around these plants, and then he can tote me up, and I can get to the windows, and I can holler, ice cream, ice cream. Anyway, that's what we did, and it worked. Sold out every night. I'd have to go back to the house, get in the ice box, not the refrigerator. We had an ice box at the time. Get the ice cream out, ride back to the plants. We'd sell them out. And I guess from that day on, I always had cash. I mean, I always had money. You know, I'd go caddy on the weekends. I'd shine shoes at the barber shop on Saturdays and Sundays. But whatever it was, I'd be working at it, and that's what Dad wanted me to do. So it was good. Well, my senior year in high school, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, Dad's job. He was a carpenter, and IBM was building a new plant there. So... I said, you know, I hate leaving my senior year, spent all the time up here. And he said, well, you can stay here if you want, find somebody to live with and, and pay your own way. I said, well, that's probably not going to happen. I don't want to live with anybody else. So I went to, went, to, went to Kentucky, and he got me a job on a construction site from 4 to 11 o'clock at night. And what I did was watered concrete beams with canvas over them to help them cure better. So every day I'd go down there, 4 o'clock, 11 o'clock, come home, do some homework, go back to school, blah, 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 blah. Did that, bought the new 1957 Ford. I was a kid in high school. It had the hot car. Hopefully the chicks would follow it. It was, uh, it, it was living large. So we graduated. I'd gotten sick just before graduation. I had mononucleosis, but uh, anyway, I got well over that. And then went to the University of Kentucky. And three of my buddies from high school were all together, and we're going to school there. And we're kind of into it. We're kind of not into it. And the Air Force comes out with this program that says, join the Air Force on your buddy program. You're going to spend your time in a service together, and you can get a government will help you pay for your college education when you get out. So what a deal. So four of us go to the recruiting office. We sign up. We go to the Air Force. We go to Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas. Have not seen each other since. Have <laughs> <laughs> not seen each other since. So anyway, you finish basic training, which is 12 weeks or something like that. And then they, after your testing, they decide, well, you should go to school. So uh, they sent me to Francis E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I don't know what the heck I was doing there. But anyway, I went to, I went to supply and logistics school. And they thought that would, I would be a fit for me. And it was. I, I liked it. So if you finished in the top 10% of your class and there was an AFC, Air Force um, Security Code, that matched your employment, you could go there. So they had this big map. Class was over. I finished second. So the guy gets to pick first. Big map. Now these flags stuck in all these cities. And there was one stuck in L.A. 
And I was thinking, God, I hope that guy didn't pick that. He was from Tennessee. So I thought, well, maybe he'll want to go back home. So I uh, forget his name, but they, they said, you know, you got first pick here. Those are the openings. Where would you like to go? And he took Smith, took Nashville, Tennessee. I said, okay. And they asked me, I said, I'm going to go to Los Angeles. Had you ever been to Los never, Angeles? I'd never been out of Ohio. I started to go to te- Texas for basic training and then Wyoming. And what was it about, uh, was it Hollywood and Adventure. Los Angeles? Okay. It, was, it was like the weather. I heard about the weather. I was tired of cold and snow. And Francis E. Warren Air Force Base, Wyoming is not exactly a camp out spot, you know. <laughs> so <clears throat> go down to, uh, you know, the train. They didn't fly you in those days. You got on the train. Even the, Orf- even the Air Force didn't fly Even the fly Air Force you. didn't fly. It's cheaper to send you by train. They sent me by train. The train went to San Bernardino, California. I got off the train and got on this bus, and this bus drove out to the desert to Victorville to George Air Force Base. And I'm looking around, I'm saying to myself, what the hell happens to the guy that finished last? Where would he go? So anyway, I was there for a while, and I'd go into uh, Long Beach on, on weekends, weekend passes. I had an uncle who lived there, and I'd go see him once in a while, and mainly it was to go see the chicks or, you know, have party time when you're young. Do that. So I'd do that, and I'd say, man, that's a great place. Uh, if I ever get out of the service, I'm coming back to Southern California. This, this is the kind of vibe I like. Anyway, on with George Air Force Base. If you became Airman of the Month ever out there, and that, that was a subjective thing, I think. I mean, about what you did or what you did, how hard you work with. You could pick where your over de- overseas duty assignment would be. And they had, I could pick Europe or Japan. So I picked Japan, went to Japan for two years. Probably one of the greatest two years of my life. That was that was awesome. Great growing up experience. I'm like 20 years old. Life's good. This is a little different than Ohio now. Just, just a slight cultural difference yeah, from Mount Vernon, Ohio. Just a tad. Uh, so then they come up with a program that said, you know, you have a six-year commitment, but if you serve three years active, we'll let you serve three years inactive in reserve. So that fit me perfect because I could get out three years, I go to work, and they would pay you back, send, it would send you back to wherever your parents were, where your official residence was when you enlisted. So I thought, that's good. They got to send me back to this time at Weirton, West Virginia, because that's where my family lived. So uh, they would buy me a ticket or give me the funds. They gave me the funds. So I drove cross country and saved maybe 50 bucks at the time. Which was a lot a of lot money. money. At the time. A lot of money. Went, went to work at Weirton Steel Construction again, where my dad was at, and said, you know, this is not for me. Please take me to Pittsburgh so I can fly. That's what he did. Went, this is getting a little lengthy here, but went to California and obviously needed a job. I got off the plane in L.A. with 25 bucks in my pocket, and I read the Long Beach Press-Telegram paper, and it had a column in there, Help Wanted Mail, Electrical Wholesale Trainee. I said, I don't know anything about electrical wholesaling, but the trainee part sounds good. So I went over there, 524 West 17th Street, Long Beach, California, Parks and Company, and uh, met the owner, Charlie Parks. There were like 10 people work for this company, and, and he talked for me. I said, he said, I'd like for you to talk to some more people at work here. I said, good. I did that. I started driving a truck there, and that's how I really got to learn the L.A. Basin in Orange County because I was delivering electrical contractors on job sites everywhere or utilities. And then... Uh, he came to me one day. He said, why don't you come in and work the counter? I said, okay. 
So I come in and work the will call, Connor. And then about two months later, he said, why don't you run the warehouse and the other crew and the drivers and everybody for me? I said, okay, that was good. Then I got word that he wanted to put an outside salesman out. And I said, I think I could do that. I really think I could do that. So he put me outside on straight commission, but guaranteed me, uh, I think it was $400 a week uh, if I didn't make my draw. So I made my draw. I became his best salesman. Then he decides he's going to sell his business, retirement age anyway. So he had this former friend of his from Ventura on Valley Electric named Dick Hurd, um, one of my all-time great mentors. And he was going to buy the business. And a couple of the employees left. They were going to go start another business, go to work for a competitor. And this Dick Hurd got me aside and said, We've picked up this rumor. There isn't going to be much of a company left there. He said, but if you'll stay, I'll buy it. If you don't stay, I'm not buying it. So I went home, talked to my wife, my first wife. And uh, I said, I'll, I think I can make this go. I'll try this. So we stayed there, made it go. And uh, he, was, he was generous with me because he had a good investment there and made it right. So then he decided to sell. I haven't changed jobs yet from driving a truck, one company to the other. Let me ask you just when, just so I have a time frame. Mm -hmm. From the time you answered this ad about a training program mm -hmm. to the time now that we're talking about, what length of period of time is that? 1962 to 1968. So in that really short period of time. Yeah. You've gone 69. from answering an ad in a paper about a trainee program that kind of sounds good yeah. to now being sold the company. But, but to run the company. To run the company. Yeah. And the guy who was going to buy the company said, you know, if I, if I stayed there, he would continue to buy it. If it wasn't, he wasn't going to buy it. So we did, and we had a successful business in Long Beach. Uh, and then he said, uh, you have branches in Whittier and, and a couple other places around. He said, why don't you be my L.A. marketing manager? And I said, okay. So I did that. And then he said, well, I have a problem in the Northwest. I said, what's wrong? He said, the same thing happened there that happened in Long Beach, your prior life. A bunch of employees opened an electrical distributorship next door called Stoneway Electric. They're still in business. And he said, they've left our building empty, Columbia Electric. And he said, uh, I was talking to Amfact, who he sold to American Factors out of Hawaii. And he said, I know one guy that could turn us around, but uh, I don't know where he wants to do it or not because he has kids nine and seven and they love it in Los Alamitos, California, blah, blah, blah. So he talked to me. He said, would you do this? Would you relocate your family, go up there and do this job? I said, well, <sighs> uh, let me talk to my wife. Uh, my answer would be, yes, I would do it. But the question's this. What's in it for Ron this time? And if I do turn this around, I expect to run the entire Northwest. So he said, I'll be back at you. So he obviously got it cleared through Honolulu. And they said, yes. So I said, we're going to go. So we left. It was February 10th, 1972. We had left Los Alamitos. I got my kids out of the pool. We're headed up to a flight to Seattle. We land at Seattle. It's snowing. We're standing outside waiting for transportation. My nine-year-old pulls my coat says, Daddy, how long do we have to stay here? Whew, that really hit me. I said, well, I don't know, but we're going to make the best of this. It's going to be good. 
So we did, and about a year and a half later, we turned it around and, and it was a, made the regional VP up there. Next, next call I get is from Honolulu, and they said, we want you to go to Burlingame, move you back to California, Northern California, and once you become president of the company. I said, you know, I'm only 35 years old. I don't think I can. He said, yeah, we think you can. And we're going to send you to Harvard Advanced Management Slants University of Hawaii program for 10 weeks to help you on any loose ends you might have. Would you, would you do it? And I said, well, what's going to happen to Dick Hurd? It was, you know, my mentor, my, my coach. And they said, well, Dick isn't going to be with us. I said, well, then I don't want the job. I said, if he could be on my staff, I'd take the job. They come back two or three days later and says, he's on your staff if you want him there. I said, yeah, I do. So we moved back to California, back to Los Altos, not Southern California, but Northern California, and commuted up to Burlingame. And by that time, we'd built like a $250 million business from Fairbanks to Houston. We had electrical branches all over. And I'd gone to board meetings, and I was supposed to be looking for acquisitions, and I was. And I guess the entrepreneurship in me was just too much to sit with the patience required, which I don't have much of, for a public health company. So... Dick came to me one day and he said, Ron, he said, this guy just opened this place down here in Sunnyvale. He said, it's not far from your house. He said, he's gone broke. He's going to close it next month. Uh, equity in the, the business is $25,000. And he said, uh, you'd be interested. He said, I know you get a little antsy with his lack of instant decision making. Would you be interested in putting up twelve five for half of it? I said, Dick, yeah, but I don't have any money. I, I, he said, no, I'll get the rest of the money because he had, he had money from selling Ventura and everything. He said, I'll provide all the working capital. So I went home, <laughs> talked to my wife again. The first time I'd ever heard her say the word in 18 years of marriage, she says, have you lost your mind? And I said, you know what? You could be right. I'm not sure, but I'm going to find out. So we started Sunnyvale, bottom line without boring you for a long period of time again. We ended up with 26 branches, $580 million in sales, sold it to a French company called Sonopar. They're the largest electrical distributor in the world, $25 billion in electrical sales a year. And uh, they're still a tenant of mine in, in three or four buildings. And it's, it's just an unbelievable story. And to think back when you're shining shoes, shoveling snow, whatever it might be, climbing walls, you would wind up at Bighorn would be bigger than a dream could be. Oh, absolutely. Let me ask you, too. First of all, there's never a challenge that you've turned down. I mean, it seems to me that as you tell your story, each step of the way— there are some big decisions that have to be made. Absolutely. And you seem to just embrace that and say, heck yes, I mean, I'm going to go for it. Thank Was you. that the attitude, that, that work instinct that your dad instilled in you? Because it's even more than that, because security is a tough thing. You have a family, you're raising a family, you're going to different places to have to do this. Those are big decisions. They are, and I, th I think what it takes is, uh, well, one, the competitiveness. One, you want to win, and you just make up your mind that you're going to win. Nothing's going to change that. And that 
I don't know. I've always enjoyed getting along with people. I've always enjoyed contractors. I've always enjoyed, you know, making them happy, making them successful, adding value to their business. So I think as long as you could add value uh, and you were honest and truthful about your dealings, things are going to happen if you work hard. If you don't work hard, it won't happen. And you, had, you, you and I were talking before we went on the air, and you said, Ron, if there's someone, something you could tell someone 20 years old now, what would you tell them? Attitude, attitude, attitude. If you think you're going to lose, you will. If you think you can't make it, you will. If you think you can't, you will. Oh, I, I think that's absolutely true. And you believed in yourself. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I always talk to to people about you started the sales aspect of it. If you can sell, you always have a job <laughs> because true. you create value that's when you're true. when you're able to sell. And sometimes that's looked at now as oh, I don't know whether I can do that. And that uh, if you can create value, you will always be successful. Exactly. You know, and I try to instill that in my 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 girls, my daughters. And boy, both of them are just booming successes. I mean, I mean, my oldest daughter, Brenda, she just sold her company to uh, Omnicom, which is a public health business. And she's like a trailblazer in the pharmaceutical marketing business and just really, really successful. But she had MS and she wouldn't let it overcome her. Yeah. Attitude, attitude, attitude. Amazing. Turning Amazing. lemons into lemonade. Absolutely. And... None of this happens by accident. You have to have a good work ethic, as we said. But in those days, too, you didn't get a whole lot of attaboys from <laughs> Dad, I'm sure, because that was the nature of the people at the time, right? That's exactly right. Dad's job was to make sure the family was fed, housed, clothed, and everybody did what he said. That was his job. And there was no discussion, no alternative plans, no nothing. This is what it was. So it was pretty clear about... You had to go to work. You had to get this done. And I was going to say earlier, you know, too, when you come from nothing, I come from a lot of love and great great parents, but when you come from nothing financially or materialistic, uh, things just don't get in your way because you don't have a hell of a lot to lose. You got you to gotta go make it happen. So we did. I did. I got very lucky. God bless California. Well, yeah. I mean, the land of opportunity, especially Absolutely. for you. Tell me about mom. Mm. She died two years ago at 97. Uh, you know, you stop and look back, raising a family from the late 30s to the 40s with there was no fast food. There was no washing machine. You did it by hand. You hung it out to dry. Hopefully it didn't rain so you get it back in. Made sure there was coal in the room for the stove, you know, so it wouldn't freeze in the winter. Uh, just... Three meals a day, getting up, getting down. I mean, just everything. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Mothers have no idea today what what the hardships and, and what their grandmothers or great-grandparents have gone through to raise them. Religious. We had to go to church every Sunday, Mulberry Street Methodist Church. And I don't care what was going on. You went to church. And we walked to church. So, And she walked to church. So it was, it was great. She's an awesome person. We talk about, too, your ability to communicate, whether that was as a salesperson, whether that's to your employees, whatever that may be. 
how does that communication start? Because it always concerns me now with the electronic uh, texting and Facebook and stuff like that, that face-to-face communication. Well, it concerns me too. Concerns me too. I think the smart person has to figure a way uh, to use those social media vehicles to his advantage, but at the same time establish a personal rapport because as long as life goes on, people are going to want to do business with someone they want to do business with. It's going to come from the heart. It's going to be, uh, you know, all things being equal. I mean, the price, the time, the delivery, the comments, they're going to go with the person they like. How are they going to know who they like if they don't have some kind of interpersonal relationship with them? So I think I think the smart person finds a way to establish that and then use all this other technology and media like the rest of the world does. Yeah, it's, what did you look for when you hired people? Attitude. Attitude. You know, we're not, I wasn't doing brain surgery or any complex operation. We're getting product from A to B faster, quicker than anyone else. Uh, but attitude, attitude, attitude is important. The rest of it you can train. And uh, it's the same, that's what makes this club so great. All the employees have great attitudes. I mean, they, don't, they aren't down in the mouth when they come here. They don't bitch and complain or tell you their problems. They're here, they're here to service and to have a great attitude. And it's, it's evident. I think it's true with everything. You can face any obstacle in life if you have a good attitude. Anything. Cancer, death, whatever it might be. Bankruptcy. You've got you to maintain the right kind of thinking process. And, and positive attitude is contagious. Just yes. as negative Aspects of it is can be contagious. So true, Mark. But if you do present that, I think that that affects everybody around there. And I know from personally from knowing you, that's absolutely the case. But it, you're not going to beat people that have that kind of a positive attitude. You're not. You're not. Who had the greatest influence on your life, or people? Not just one. Maybe there's more than that. Obviously, my mom. Uh, Dick Hurd had a great influence in my life. You know, the timing and the situation, the events were great. I've had a lot of uh, friends and employees over the years that really have been, uh, become good friends, super friends. Uh, I don't know what they call, how you'd call it other than uh, not forgetting about you, uh, keeping you in mind, maintaining a friendship, maintaining that communication line we're talking about. Uh, really important. And, you know, look back, some of your, your early teachers, you know, made a hell of an impression on me. You know, Mrs. Augustine in the Fourth Ward. And I think I had my name on the paddle more times than any other student. So if you got a paddling, you got your name on it. But, you know, she carried out what Dad didn't carry out when I was away from home, and that was good. Values. Could you imagine paddling children today in school and first, second, third grade having their name? No, no way it wouldn't happen. Well, I always tell the story. It wasn't just paddling. I, I remember there was always a, a shop teacher that was in charge of discipline in the school, whatever that might be. Yeah. And they not only paddled you, but then they put holes in the paddle so yes. there'd be no wind <laughs> resistance when they, when they paddled exactly. you. Probably couldn't get away with that Probably today. couldn't get away with it today. No. Today, uh-huh. two things. One, do you miss business? 
You know, I, I, I do miss business. I think I miss the interpersonal relationships more than the business. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not the money. It's, uh, it's the interpersonal relationships. I don't miss it as much as I did the first couple of years. I sold in 19, uh, 2011, which eight years ago. Uh, but, yeah, you miss it. You miss it, you know. And you miss the challenge, you know. I've had a real tough time establishing goals for myself after I retired. I've, I'm a goal-oriented guy. I think you have to have goals. I think whatever they might be, charity work, something of value to you and to someone else. And I've had a tough time setting them. I've been involved with Read With Me, which is a nice charity around here for the past four years. And I resigned this last year. And uh, I just called them back and reinstated myself. Because uh, you got to do something with your service and your time. And I think the more you give, the better you feel. Money and time. Tell me about Read With Me. Read With Me is a reading program started by Clay and Roberta Klein. Uh, excellent people. I knew Clay from Los Altos Country Club 30 years ago. They started the program that they go to the poor neighborhoods in Coachella Valley and help the students in school that wear English, especially as a second language. So we have volunteers. I get on the bus at the senior center and go down to Coachella Thermal. John Kelly Elementary School, and I'll take three or four students, and I'll check with the teacher, and we'll have a study assignment for the day on what she'd like to cover. And normally it's just pages out of a, a book, a learning book. And you'll sit there, and I'll read a page, and they'll read a page, and I'll help them read a page, and we'll finish it. And not, not only that, the content. We read a book about the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. What is that? They don't know what the Golden Gate Bridge is. Uh, they don't know the most obvious stuff to us. So I think learning, listening, correct pronunciation on words, content, the interpersonal relationships they have with us is great. And each year I've been taking a, the class to the Living Desert. Uh, God, they love that. If somebody wants to get involved in that project, what should they do? Contact me. Contact uh, Bruce... Uh, was Bruce was Titcom. Bruce is, is taken over as the administrator for John Kelly School. Bruce Tipton would be the guy, and you would be warmly received uh, because we never have too many, I don't think. And they're, they're, they're now on 13 schools. And that's probably, too, one of the things that people don't always realize about the Bighorn community, that we're all very lucky and very fortunate to have the lifestyle that we have. But this is also a community that gives back. Amen. And uh, not only financially, which is huge, but also just getting out in the community as you've done. Exactly. What brought you to Bighorn? How did that all come about? <laughs> I used to be at the Springs, and I lived at Waterford. And there was a guy also that lived at Waterford called Jay Williams. A really nice guy. And... Uh, I think my first big deal, he was my guest up here when I became a member. And he said, you want to go play some golf with Jerry Weintraub and me today? And I said, where at? He said, at Morningside. I said, well, who's Jerry Weintraub? And he said, well, he's in the movie producing business and promotion business. I said, yeah, I'd like to. So we go over there and, and play in alternate courses four or five times. And he said to me, he said, you know, why don't you join Bighorn? I said, 
uh, well, I'm happy where I'm at right now. He said, well, why don't you come on up and look around? He said, we're taking on, this is 2003, we're taking on 20 members uh, for 250 grand, but if you buy something within a year, it'll give you $50,000 credit. I said, well, it's not that far, about a 20-minute ride up here. So I said, well, I'll go up and take a look. So I did. Came up, him and I played a couple rounds of golf up here, kind of drifted apart. I mean, everybody's got their stuff to do and their activities, and they're gone, what have you. But uh, that's how I got here. And then Bram Levin invited me to be his partner in the big deal. It came up for that. So that's how I got the big horn. It's, uh, and, and I also wanted some activities for my wife, Aviva, because there wasn't a whole lot going on for her at the Springs 20 years ago. She's 68, 48, 49. So uh, this was the place. And my gosh, she's involved. She loves it. Well, I don't think it, we've talked about this before. Somebody said, uh, I didn't even know places like this existed when I was young. And they've then explained to me that places like this didn't exist when I was young. <laughs> but uh, this is a special place for sure. This is unbelievable. You know, if you were here the coming back, open night, welcome back home party. I mean, it was like an Academy Award show. You felt like you were walking down the stairs into everybody in white, the balloons and the band and the noise, and you go, my God, this is a country club opening, a golf club opening? Yes, it's special. You know, and it, it wouldn't be special, I mean, without the people. I mean, there's such a class of warm people here. It's just, it's incredible. Well, and as you said, it's not just the members, it's the... People that work here. Yeah. It's all one family. In fact, uh, that's what makes it special, too. They're great people. Great yeah. people. Um, what's the future hold for Ron Snow? Well, I know like, family is very important to you. It, it sure is important. I hope to cut down a little bit on travel, although we're going to Naples for Thanksgiving. My daughter, I was telling you about, for her house, I haven't seen. Uh, we're taking the other family to Cabo here over uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, Ron Snow is still trying to decide what his goal should be. He's going to do Read With Me, uh, going to get involved in probably more charity work, uh, try to stay healthy, uh, be a positive influence on people around me, and do what I can to help people. And last, uh, any advice you'd give to... Young people, uh, what advice would you give to them? Expose yourself. Uh, be warm, be greeting, be helpful, keep a good attitude, and uh, help as many people as you possibly can. Great words to live by. Ron, I really want to thank you for being here today. It's, Pleasure. Thank it really you. really is important, and I think that the advice that you give is going to be very helpful. Thanks again. You're welcome. And thanks again to Leeds and Son Fine Jewelers, who've been part of our community for over 70 years, and AT&T, who reminds us, it can wait. Please don't drive distracted. We look forward to seeing you next time with interesting stories from extraordinary people.